1: Welcome to the PODcast. We are back. It is the Detroit Lions podcast brought to you by Pride of Detroit. That's why we call it the PODcast, Pride of Detroit podcast. My name is Jeremy Reisman. I'm the managing editor over at prideofdetroit.com. I am the interim coach of the PODcast and I'm everything you want in a host according to myself. Uh, (laughs) Welcome to the show this week. We got a lot ahead of us. We're going to be talking... Uh, Our list cast continues with the top 10 edge defenders uh, of 2020 around the NFL. We're also going to answer a lot of your mailbag questions, and a lot of them are about ownership. Uh, We had an earlier podcast, a midweek podcast. If you missed that, go back and listen to it where we gave our kind of initial thoughts of Sheila Ford Hamp and talked about the legacy of Martha Ford. Um, But we're going to answer some more, get a little bit into it. And then we got a little bit of breaking news we're going to talk about at the top. But before we get into all that, let me introduce my guest for this week. Let's go first to we haven't we haven't seen or heard from this guy in a little bit. He was with us uh, during some of our draft coverage. He's, he's a friend of the show. You probably know him if you've been listening long enough. John Whitaker is here. He's at Whitaker on Twitter. John, good to see you again, bud hello
2: i think last time i was on stream not the podcast i think was probably when you're doing that uh charity thing i think you ended mm-hmm. up eating Matsu sticks good time that's
1: right oh yeah I, I don't remember that um yes you you were an <laughs> intimate part of our of our game i I think you're kind of a big bridge to us to this uh twitch platform because you were kind of in on it before i was and mm-hmm. i'm an old person and, and you're a young person <laughs> yeah, i'm not that young
2: Maybe <laughs> yeah, well, i'll defer that to hamza
1: uh also uh, another guest we have this week no Ryan this week he's off on vacation as is our buddy Alex Reno but he wouldn't be here anyways cuz he he you know I don't know what he what his deal is with the podcast but Jerry Mallory is here at Jerry Mallory NFL on
3: Twitter Jerry welcome back bud what's happening guys and uh since Chris didn't put in my theme song I'm just going to hum it now so the podcast oh, just going to have to deal with doop do do, do 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 okay I won't do the whole thing just <laughs> kidding what's up good to be here What's happening,
1: Jerry? We are spoiled. We get you twice this month. What happened? How are we so spoiled?
3: I feel special, man, uh, to get the opportunity to come on here, hang out with John. I, if, for those of you enjoying the Twitch stream, our buddy John has the best of both worlds. He's got that uh, that commentator voiceover, you know, deep voice going, <laughs> but he's got the he's got the baby face to match with it, man. So um, it's not a, it's not an error. The voice doesn't match the face. He's got the best of both worlds. We can only be so lucky. I'll take it <laughs> better than having the
2: like, well, balding or having wrinkles. So I'll take it.
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because the, the opposite would be like balding and wrinkly with like a a high pitched Justin Bieber <laughs> ex voice. So you you picked the right pair of that situation. Good job.
1: <laughs> All right, I teased it at the top. Let's get right into it. Big NFL news. Literally minutes before we went live here. Cam Newton signing a one-year incentive laden deal, according to Adam uh Schefter, with the New England Patriots, just as pretty much everyone suspected, I believe. But um I'm gonna throw it right to John because before we jumped on air, you kind of threw a hot take out there. What are your thoughts on on Cam Newton to the Patriots?
2: Honestly, I think this is an upgrade over Tom Brady. Now Over the course of an entire career, Tom Brady has, of course, way more accolades and way more deserving of it. But at this point in their respective careers, Tom Brady really doesn't have the arm talent they used to. And I think the Patriots are getting a really good buy low deal with Cam. Like basically, I think they signed him for essentially the minimum with some incentives. Like really, they had what Jared Stidham in the quarterback room, and I think Brian Hoyer. Really, there's no harm in going for this worst case scenario you end up tanking the season and you get a high draft pick next year.
1: And it's obviously a good deal for Cam. I mean, maybe he's not getting paid what he was hoping to get, but you land with the Patriots, you you get an an immediate shot in the ring. And I don't care what anyone said about how, how bad the the Patriots offseason has been and how depleted their roster is. That's a Bill well team. And I'm not going to count them out. 100%. Uh, Jerry, you also kind of had a semi semi hot take
3: Tell me about what your thoughts on Stidham versus Newton is. Semi-hot take. So I'm I'm going to start this off by saying I think um, Cam Newton should thank coronavirus for him possibly, you know, being in contention for a Super Bowl ring. I I feel as though the Patriots were comfortable with Jared Stidham. I think they still might be comfortable with him. I don't think it's a lot Cam Newton starts. However, due to, the, to COVID-19, I think the smart look for these teams is to bring in guys that already have been through training camps that have experience. Uh, And so I think the need to have a veteran, I was just thinking about this with the lions. um, And you look at the way their roster is built, you know, the teams that have more veterans are going to fare better. So I believe if we had the full offseason available for the Patriots and they can get this long, extended look of, of Stedham and kind of groom them, I don't I'm not sure they would have even looked at Cam Newton. But since this will be a different year, they're going to rely on veterans, he has a chance to take that starting spot. But I don't think it's a guarantee. Um, just briefly, and you have to, you know, consider the source. I was listening to uh, a media outlet, and they're very pro-patriots, but they were kind of singing the praises of Jared Stidham a few weeks ago. Um, you know, he didn't light the world on fire in college, but his high school resume was very impressive. He was ranked like one of the top dual threat quarterbacks. I think the Patriots have wanted to kind of veer into a dual quarterback situation for a while, which makes sense for bringing Cam Newton. But um, in terms of Stidham, I think they're pretty high on him. And it's not a, a lock solid, you know, guarantee that Cam Newton starts. So we'll see.
1: Yeah, it's kind of they they each bring kind of their own version of experience, right? Um, that that both are going to come in handy in the shortened off season. Stidham's exactly. obviously been in the system for a couple of years, and so you know he won't have anything really new to learn in in terms of verbiage and and scheme. Where Cam Not- Cam Newton, obviously been around the NFL for a, a long time, there, there isn't probably a lot that that confuses him at this point in his career. He might learn have to learn some new verbiage in in the next month or two before training camp. Um, but in terms of like reading coverages, in terms of, you know, play action, play design pretty much already has all that covered. So yeah, I think it's, it's going to be interesting to see what happens there in new England, but
3: one two three four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, one. All right, let's start our list cap.
1: This is the Detroit Lions podcast. So we're going to move on from the Patriots talk and talk more broad NFL as, uh, as we have the past few weeks, we've been doing our list cast, which is our, our eight-person panel of top 10 players at their position, respective positions in the NFL. This is supposed to be um, independent of scheme, independent of teammates, independent of contracts. It's just most talented players at their position right now. We're not talking about you know their, their history. We're not talking about their future. Just 2020, this year, we have eight people on our panel. Vote on this each week. This week we're doing edge defenders. We've got two guys and myself um, who voted on this. Um, Before we get into our countdown, let's talk about some guys that just barely missed our list. Let's start with, let's start with one that Jerry voted for, but he didn't actually get any votes from anyone else. And that's Eric Armstead.
3: Jerry, tell us why he made your list as your number 10. Yeah. So he, he was in contention with a few guys, um, and so he did make my list. I feel as though sometimes when we think of edge rushers, we, we have a certain body type in mind. We have a certain skill set in mind. But over the last few years, I think the position has changed where maybe we focused on quick uh, twitch guys, speed guys. The most successful guys the last few years have been power rushers. Uh, Zadarius Smith, Bosa. you know, We're going to talk about those guys later. And that's where Eric Armstead really... Uh, it shows his effectiveness. He's one of the strongest, uh, edge rushers in the game. Had a pretty good year last year. He, he ended up, I believe, I don't have PFF in front of me. I'm going to pull it up in a second. I believe he was top 10 in terms of, uh, edge rushers. Um, but he's a dual threat. He can get after the quarterback, but he's also stout against the run. And, um, you know, he was one of the anchors on that defense. And I think Nick Bosa had, uh, the amount of su- success that he did as a rookie because of guys like Eric Armstead.
1: He Nick Bosa definitely owes a lot of his hype because of Eric Armstead. I I don't think there's any question about that. They had quite a ridiculous tandem there in San Francisco. And and both of them, I think, raised each other's level of play up. I think I think you could also probably argue the inverse, too. Right, though, like that Nick Bosa probably helped Eric Armstead out a little bit, too. For sure. Um, One guy that that also didn't make our list. But John and I both voted for him, and I think this is kind of a shocking omission. I understand it, but there, there's one real big reason why this is a big shocking omission. It's because this is a, it's the 2019 sack leader. 19 and a half sacks last season. Shaquille Barrett comes in just outside our top 10 at number 12 on this list. John, tell the people they're crazy. Tell, tell our staff they're crazy. I'll say that a little bit
2: crazy because obviously if you put up, I think 19 and a half sacks over the yeah. course of a season, that's impressive. I believe it was the uh, Bucks new uh, franchise record after uh, Warren Sapp. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the reason why he's probably not higher on many lists is one, I think Tampa Bay was really under the radar last year. Um, mm-hmm. I think that'll probably be quite different this year, obviously with, you know, Tom Brady arriving down South. Um, but I think, Barrett, he's probably not as well-rounded as some of the other guys on this list. I think he's very much a pass rusher, more so than an overall edge. Um, I think technically he's listed as a linebacker, so a bit of a you know interesting situation with how you want to divvy up positions. Um, one thing I was actually thinking about when making this list is that with uh, NFL defenses today, it's so hard to actually determine like what is a person's primary position. Like if we were talking about pass rushers, someone like Aaron Donald would be very high on this list. But in my view, he's kind of a defensive tackle. So I don't think anyone had him on their list, but kind of these things are open to interpretation.
1: Sure. Um, And yeah, I think I think the other reason he probably didn't make a list in our chats mentioning it right now as well. This was his only his only breakout year and he's been around the league for five years, been since. 2014 and he's never had more than five and a half sacks prior to this season um but to me you just can't you can't take away that season that 19 and a half sacks is no fluke you don't get 19 and a half sacks by accident um that performance enough is is to put is enough to put him on my list now no one had him above 10 there was four i think he had five votes for number 10 um and they were all 10th on everyone's list so that's the reason why i didn't make it also who didn't make it jj watt missed out. just barely uh he came in in 11th clays campbell was 13th von miller was 14th but you guys were ready to crack into our top yeah,
3: yeah, 10 sounds good yeah, let's, let's let's do it
1: all right our number 10 demarcus lawrence and i'm gonna throw directly here to john because john you had him seventh on your list tell me about what you like about demarcus lawrence yeah demarcus lawrence he's um well, he got that very big payday
2: uh was it a year ago or two years ago. And, uh, I don't think he he hasn't lived up to the hype from that incredible season. I want to say he was 2018. I have to double check that. Um, but he's probably one of the more, I'd say well-rounded, uh, defensive ends in the league. He's really what you're looking for in kind of like a prototype defensive end. and, um, you know, just really, he's been one of the cornerstones of the Cowboys defense, which has slowly been increasing in talent over the past few years. I'm, I know we're not supposed to consider the team's talent uh, in our list, but as I said, he's a very important piece to it, and I think he's probably deserving of that contract that he got. Because I think one thing that we've kind of mentioned is, like, you know, with Barrett, well, are getting all those like uh, double-digit sack seasons. You know, sometimes are they a fluke? Are they not? I think really he's a pretty consistent guy going forward.
1: Yeah. He's a tough one for me um, because last year I'm sure he was high on our list. I can't remember what exactly was, um, but he's coming, he was coming off a 14 and a half sack season, a 10 and a half sack season. And he comes into 2019 and only, only puts up five. And so it's hard for me to ignore that number, but at the same time, like all of his efficiency stats are good. I mean, sack numbers can be fickle. Five is, is low, even for a fickle number, but you know, his PFF grade was still up there. 86.3 is 12th. Um, his run defense, that's something that we're probably not even going to mention with a lot of these guys because a lot of these guys don't have great run defenses. He was six in run defense. Um, his pass rush win rate, according to ESPN, was third. So he still has it. He didn't make my list this year, though. And it's hard. I think it's just it's hard for me to get past that sack number because five is low. I mean, I think we've seen Demarcus Lawrence hit five in a single game. The fact that he had five all of last <laughs> year is a little troubling for me.
2: Yeah. One thing and to note, though, is, uh, sorry, I just want to jump in real quick, is that they did have uh, Robert Quinn get 11 and a half sacks. So one thing that we've learned with the Lions is that often having two good pass rushers is pretty good because they set up each other well.
3: Yeah. And then the thing, too, um, with him, his sack numbers are low. And so when you got a guy like this who, you know, you consider him one of the better pass rushers in the game and you look at a sack number that's low, you, you, you look further. He deserves, you know, a further look. Was it? you know, situational? Was he still getting Fair. pressures, QB hits? And he really didn't do that at a high rate either last year. He only had 16 QB hits. He didn't have a ton of pressures. Um Like you said, stat, uh, sacks can be overrated, but, you know, your pressure rate and your QB hits are low as well. I just think he had a down year, and to be honest, he's kind of regressed, um, you know, for the past three years. So, uh you know, he's, he's right outside the top 10. He's still a, a fine player, but Uh, that regression gave me a little cause for concern, not just the sacks, but the pressures and QB hits being low too. All
1: right. Our number nine on the list, Cameron Jordan last year, he had 15 and a half sacks that put him third in the league. Uh, I had him seventh on my list. So did you, Jerry, John didn't have him on his list at all. So let me throw it to Jerry first and then we'll, we'll see John's side of things. Jerry, what do you like about Cameron Jordan?
3: I like everything about him, to be honest. And, you know, with my ranking, I try to look at the pass rush as well with the run defense mm-hmm. and uh, he excels in both of those. He's one of those guys that, you know, he, he's, he's rated highly about around 80 in both statistics and it's the consistency. I'm real big on consistency. So that's why a lot of times my list, younger guys, you know, uh, won't be very high on the list. One year wonders won't be very high on the list because, I think in the NFL, we have seen guys that look amazing one year, whether it's their rookie year or one breakout year, and then they kind of fall off. But with Cameron Jordan, uh, the consistency uh, really stands out. He was someone I was really hoping would be available and a a pick for the Detroit Lions It didn't happen. But, you know, this is his third straight year with 12-plus sacks. You know, his pressures is consistent. And then you can count on him in rundown situations too. So he's not a guy that, you know, on first and second down, you're either taking him out or you're worried about him being a weakness. You could play him all three downs.
1: One one interesting thing about Cameron Jordan, too, that sticks out to me just looking at his box score. He has 20 passes defended in the past three years. Oh, that's that's crazy. He had 11 in 2017. That's a lot for an edge guy.
2: Hey, that's um, more than T Stabers had to be screwed.
1: Hey, okay, okay. Oof, sorry, <laughs> I, I had to go on, there. John. I, had, I had to. <laughs> uh John. Too soon. <laughs> Why didn't Cameron Jordan make your list? What 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 was he just missing for you? Uh, truth be told, he was going to be my 11th guy. Uh, I made the list uh, basically a few weeks
2: ago. And uh, when I was coming down to that, those final few spots, Jordan was right there with Barrett. And I just had to give Barrett the edge just because of that sack total. Like I couldn't leave a guy with nearly 20 sacks off the list. I think what Jerry said is very true. Jordan, he has the dependability that he really loved from a defensive end. And um, he is pretty well-rounded too, which is honestly what I really value. Like uh, one guy who isn't on our list is Trey flowers. And he might not have the, the pass rushing repertoire that some of these guys have, but In this league, being able to defend both pass and run is super, super important to have. And so I think someone like Cam Jordan, even though he's kind of on, he's reaching the end of his career, uh, he's still a good guy to have on this list.
1: All right. Our number eight, let's take it to the NFC North. The first of, spoiler, three NFC North guys on this list. Zadarius Smith makes it for the first time after having a, a kind of breakout year in green Bay. Uh, let's throw it right back to you, John. What do you like about um, Zidarius Smith? Who was how high on your list? He was eight. So uh, right, right where he is. Eight. Yeah. Um,
2: really, I think before this year, I didn't know all that much about Zidarius Smith. I think, uh, he played for the Ravens, correct? Um, Anyway, yep. he was a guy who kind of flew under the ra- uh, under the radar under the radar uh <laughs> in Baltimore and I think when he came to uh, the Packers, I think some people were kind of surprised by the contract that he got, but he absolutely dominated this past season and I think really that's probably one of the reasons why he isn't a little bit higher is the fact that um So far, he's only had one year in that Packers defense. And I'd like to see him repeat that going forward. But he still has age on his side, which is good. Um, But man, just every time we played the Packers this past season, he was a dude who stood out on almost every single play. It's not just due to his long dreadlocks. It's the fact that he was in the backfield almost every play. He was a nightmare to deal with. Surprisingly, he only had uh, one sack in the two games against the Lions. But it felt like he was there all day.
1: I, I just actually realized we all put him eighth on our list. Um, Jerry, t- talk to me about Zadarius. What do you like about him?
3: I like a lot about him. And in fact, you know, you, you met, you make the list and you kind of look over it and, you know, sometimes you wish you had guys higher, some guys, you know, you wish you probably should have put lower, you know, as I looked at him, he's probably the main candidate that I wish I put a little bit higher. He had a, a phenomenal year, um, now it wasn't as highly touted that Baltimore year, but I I just remember that last season in Baltimore he had about nine sacks, <clears throat> mm-hmm. and he looked he looked really good there as well. He was a player that I was hoping that the Lions would target um, when we were looking at edge rushers, and uh, you know we didn't we didn't pick him up. Lo and behold, he's with the enemy. So he had a, a phenomenal year, uh, kind of based off that Baltimore contract year, and he lived up to the hype. He lived up to the contract. He was third overall on PFF. Another guy that's good against the uh, the pass as well as against the run. And, you know, he does have some linebacker duties. So he's sometimes called upon to, you know, be in coverage. Not so much with their scheme, but he has a high coverage grade as well. Just a shade under 80. So he excelled at all uh, ends of uh, defense. And I feel like that Packers team last year, um, you know, he was, you know, he he may have been the most important player. And I would, they go, 12 and four, 13 and three. He was one of the key central figures because he stayed in the backfield uh, generating that pass rush. He was a linchpin for their defense. Uh, and so, yeah, I, I kind of wish I had him higher, to be honest, maybe closer to the top five.
1: I'm i I'm kind of in agreement across the board there, Jerry. I, I do think, I mean, it's easy to forget considering who their quarterback is, but the defense was really the driving force behind the Packers Right. Turning everything around last year. And yeah, I think Zadaria Smith was the reason for it. You know, it's never just one player, but if there was one driving force, I think it was Darius Smith. You look at pretty much any pass rushing metric that you want out there PFF pass rush, 88.86 in the NFL. Pass rush win rate, ESPN stat, eighth. Disruption rate, NFL.com's thing, second, 17.5%. The guy was a beast. Guy was a beast. And yeah, I kind of look at it now and be like, he probably could have been even higher on on our list. But uh, he comes in at number eight. Number seven, the aforementioned Nick Bosa. Nine, only had nine sacks last year, but was part of one of the most feared defensive lines in the league. Jerry, we'll throw it right back to you. Why did you have Nick Bosa? let's see, you had him six on your list. So right around here.
3: Yeah, he, uh, he lived up to the hype. You know, sometimes it takes guys a little bit to adjust. Uh It may be a year or so, but, you know, he came right in. He was, you know, highly sought after, high draft pick. And granted, there were some good guys with him, Eric Armstead. And, but a lot of those guys on defense were there the year before. And it was his addition that kind of catapulted the San Francisco 49ers to, you know, NFC champions that we saw. I mean, he handled his role as a rookie so phenomenally well. I probably would have had him higher, you know, if it's not for that rookie factor. I try to mm-hmm. you know, want to see guys a few more than one year. So he was uh, second in pro football focus overall in defense for uh, edge rushers. Uh, you know, he's fine against the run. And he's kind of that new era, like I was mentioning before, where power rushers are kind of in style. Power mm-hmm. rushers are the ones that are getting the most success. They have kind of, you know, skiing versatility. And that's where he excels, him and his brother. Those dudes are, are are very strong, but more than that, they use their power to get leverage and to get after the quarterback. So the sky's the limit for Nick Bosa. If he's the best uh, edge defender in the next year or so, um, it wouldn't surprise me at all. We've seen a few guys, J.J. Uh, Watt, you know, phenomenal rookie year. And the next thing you know, he was defensive player of the year. Luke Keekly, phenomenal rookie year. Then I think the very next year he was defensive player of the year. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if Nick Bosa is in that conversation. Phenomenal rookie year and then defensive player of the year for his sophomore season.
1: All right, John, I'll let you have the last word on Nick Bosa, and then we'll go to break.
2: I have him just below his brother, spoiler alert, in this list. Um, but performance-wise, what Jerry said is very much uh, a great description of Nick Bosa. He is going to be a blossoming star in this league. And one thing that we mentioned uh, before is that, pass rushing in this league is a premier position and if you can get a guy like him it's uh you know a great building block for the future
1: all right that's our seven eight nine and ten on our edge rusher list when we come back we're going to count down the top six including two guys from the lions division so stick with us we'll be right back on the pod cast And we are back with the POD cast. We're counting down the top 10 edge defenders for the 2020 season. Our list cast continues. We just left you the seven, eight, nine, and 10 on our list. Time to crack the top six. And we are going to go straight back to the NFC North. to The Minnesota Vikings. Daniil Hunter comes in at our number six. I'm going to throw to you, John first, because you had him number three on your list. So you must really like, well, maybe not like, but uh, be impressed by Daniil Hunter. Tell me about
2: it. Uh, be, be impressed by Hunter is probably the better way to put it because as a Lions fan, uh, I don't like him because he is scary. What I mentioned earlier about Zadarius Smith and um, him always being in the backfield, basically haunting me, me as a Lions fan. Uh, basically apply that to Daniel, uh, Daniel Hunter and then extend that over the course of basically five seasons. And there you go. I feel like he has consistently been one of the most underrated, uh, defensive ends in the entire league. And I think it's because that Vikings defense for so many years has been really good and people have only really looked at it as a unit instead of looking at the individual parts for me. Um, you know, someone like Harrison Smith gets a lot of praise. Uh, I feel like Hunter though is, uh, I've said this a few times, but I'll say it again. He's the backbone of that defense. And, uh, even going forward with a team that's been a bit depleted in the off season, I think he should still have another standout season.
1: Uh, Yeah. Back to back 14 and a half seasons, back to back pro bowls. Jerry, what do you like about him?
3: I like a lot of the same things that John mentioned about him. It's, it's really, you know, unfortunate that we have to see him for, you know, a couple of times a year. Um, I think, You know, you you look at what he did the last two years, 14 and a half sacks, 14 and a half uh, sacks, uh, that's really good. I think earlier on in his career, a lot of his success, um, some people may have attributed it to, you know, having another defensive end as talented as Everson Griffin Griffin on the other side. I think he kind of dispelled that notion last year. He did have Everson Griffin with him, but uh, he, he wasn't as effective as he normally was. And so uh, the fact that he still was, you know, out there and, and, and producing and making sure that he was the linchpin of that defense, which I think it is him and not Harrison Smith, uh, you know, he, he kind of blazed his own trail this year. Um, he wasn't in the shadow of Harrison Smith. He wasn't in the shadow of uh, Everson Griffin. So, yeah, I, I love him as a player. hate the fact that we have to see him twice a year.
1: A couple fun facts about him. He's only 25 years old terrifying That's scary. another fun fact thanks to cordy aaron remember when the lions took alex carter over him in the 2015 draft eight picks ahead of daniel hunter thanks for that one appreciate that also kind of interesting about 15 picks later trey flowers fourth round pick fun fact anyway we really missed (laughs) yeah uh edge guys we hate drafting them all right. Our number five Chandler Jones came in at second in sacks last year with 19, but falls to number five on our list. I want to go, I want to go to Jerry. No, I want to go. Sorry. I want to go to John first. Cause John had him eight on his list, I believe, or wait, you had him nine on your list. Sorry. Um, what are your thoughts on Chandler Jones? This was another tough one.
2: And as I mentioned a lot of players on this list are very close to each other because almost every team in the NFL has an elite pass rusher. Um, and I think Chandler Jones, you know, there were some questions when he left New England, how he would fare. And if anything, he's gotten better outside yeah. of New England. And even yeah, that with... it never you know, happens.
1: He broke yeah, the which curse. Is,
2: which is pretty crazy. Well, also, when you look at um, the supporting cast he has currently, I uh, would just say there isn't much. And the mm-hmm. fact that he's been as dominant as he has been is just, uh, you know, indictment of how good he is. Um, I had him a little bit lower on my list just because there's so many guys jockeying for a position, and I think, you know, just kind of one of those guys. Realistically, if I ended up doing my list today, I might have been a totally different spot. It's a very, mm-hmm. very close. I give him a lot of respect, though. I do wish he was on this Lions team.
3: All right, Jerry, let yeah. me let me hear I'll what your like thoughts it. are. Mm-hmm. I like Chandler Jones. He's been super consistent. You know, he was pretty good in New England. As John said, he's really taken off. He was uh, in Arizona. He was the sack leader in 2017 and was being a sack leader this year as well. Um, you know, he his PFF ranking was uh, a, a little bit lower. It was like in the 12, 13, 14 range, but a lot of that had to do with. Uh, him not lighting the world on fire as a run defender and him struggling a little bit in coverage. I know those are weighted all differently. When it came to just being a pure pass rusher, he was one of the best. I think he was rated second overall in pass rush rate. And that's what they're calling him to do. You know, that's his job. Uh, and he's just been good at it, man. He's uh, It seems like he's been in the league for quite some time. He's, he's 29, so he's still got some gas left in the tank. So I looked at that. I looked at the age. I feel comfortable thinking, like this upcoming year, I don't expect any drop-off. And um, that should be a fun team there on both sides of the ball, Arizona. And, and he'll be right there in the middle of things, running down the quarterback like he has for the last four or five seasons there.
1: Yeah, when I when I look at Chandler Jones, and I, I agree with our Chad saying he's maybe one of the most underrated players in the NFL. Um, he left New England, got better. Uh, Calais Campbell leaves Arizona, forcing him to be the guy. He got better. I had him number two on my list because, and, and maybe this was more like a, you know, when they give an Oscar to someone just for their, their, their work, you know, they've gone 10 years without the recognition they deserve. So they, they kind of hand them an Oscar. This is what mm-hmm. I'm doing with, with Chandler Jones because consistency is crazy. He's had five straight seasons of at least 10 sacks led the, the league in 2017 with 17 had even more this year and didn't even lead the league in it. He had eight forced fumbles last year. That's game-changing. Did the Lions have eight-force fumbles all season? I don't know. Probably not a lot more than that. Justin Coleman was probably responsible for all of them. Um, I mean, this guy has just like gone so underappreciated, in my opinion. Somehow, he's only made three Pro Bowls, um, despite the fact that I think he's been one of the best edge guys in the NFC for years. And so, yeah, I think, I think he needs to be a little bit higher on this list. Uh, I'm, I'm not mad about it, but... Um, People need to put a little more respect on his name. That's all I'm saying.
2: The Lions had 16 forced fumbles last year. Also surprisingly, three of them came from Jared Davis.
1: There you go. I guess that was, was misleading.
3: <laughs> all right. <O-A-D>.
1: Uh, <laughs> J.D. From J.D. to J.B. Joey Bosa, number four on list. How about that segue? Eat your heart out, Chris. Uh, <laughs> Bosa was... Now, this is an interesting one because Joey Bosa almost certainly would have been a top three guy, except inexplicably Mansour Shaheen left him off his list completely, leaving – I mean, no, no one else, I think oh, – okay, mostly everyone else had him in either top three or top four, uh, but he was off his list entirely. Um, let's, let's go back to you, John. You had him at number five on your list. Um, right above Nick Bosa. Tell me, tell me what you like a little bit better about Joey Bosa.
2: Yeah, I basically had to put both the uh, Bosa brothers together because uh, from a skill set, they're very, very similar. Like, if anything, Nick Bosa is just a younger version of Joey Bosa. Now, I have Joey a little bit higher once again, coming back to the experience. Um, you know, sometimes players they have sophomore slumps after exploding onto the scene as a rookie. Um, I also think that the Chargers defense around him probably isn't as good. And I think as a result, uh, the success that Joey has had is probably indicative of him being a little bit better, but they're very, very neck and neck for me. The biggest question is some of their injury history. So I'm always, we want to keep an eye on that. Uh, I think cause he miss, I think he was, all right for 2019 but yeah 2018 he had a i think it was a foot injury um so we'll see if he can you know get 100 percent from that but uh once again another really and still young talent for the league going forward
1: all right jerry uh, you had him number three on your list so you must be a big joey bose fan
3: Yeah, I am. I'm not crazy about him as a person uh, or the Bosa (laughs) family for just, you know, whatever things that we have seen online. You can't trust everything you see. But uh, not a huge fan of the person, but as a player, uh, just like when Nick Bosa was coming out, if if they were in Honolulu Blue and Silver, I'd be rooting for him because on the field, this guy has been super dominant. I think about when he first came into the league uh, and he's had some injury things. He had some injury issues even his first year. Um, and this is coming off memory, I think his first you know, like two or three games, he's getting sack after sack after sack, and he's been a model of consistency when he's healthy. Um, so, uh, 10 and a half sacks his rookie year, 12 and a half the next year, a little bit injured last uh, year in 2018 uh, or two years ago, and then last year, 11 and a half. So, he's consistency at uh, 47 pressures, uh, and he's another guy that is known for his power, but I'm not going to say uh, whether or not he'll be supplanted by Nick Bosa. I don't know. But as of right now, he has a little bit more in terms of pass rush moves, a little bit more technique. And he, he had a little bit more even, you know, him as a rookie, Nick Bosa as a rookie. So um, he can rely on power, but he also has a little bit in terms of technique and moves. That I like out of him. So, I mean, the Bosa brothers are amazing. And, and Joey, when he's healthy, is just a nightmare on the field. Yeah.
1: I think I just, when I think about Joey Bosa, I always just go back to that rookie season. And after all the contract things got figured out and he actually got on the field, he hit the ground running. There was no stopping him the minute he stepped on the field. And that, that to me is shocking. Like that doesn't happen with a lot of, a lot of good players in this league don't just take one step on the field and and suddenly belong in the NFL. He belonged in the NFL from the minute he stepped on the turf and 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 like you mentioned, I think John mentioned it, you know, he doesn't really have a great supporting cast there. He went in there and made an impact just by himself out there. Whereas with Nick, you know, it's hard, again, it's, it's hard to parse how much was him, how much was scheme, how much was his, his supporting cast. Like you saw it with Joey. He went out there, he made an immediate impact. And to me, if we were like doing a fantasy draft, that's why I would pick Joey Bosa ahead of Nick.
2: I All will right. say I yeah, forgot about a, Melvin Ingram, so I apologize. He's good. Uh,
1: that's yeah, he's, he's good. Silent. Fair point. Fair point. And I, I, I started a him. with a few
3: pressures. I started from him. He actually <laughs> had All 54 right. pressures last year, so I didn't mean to shortchange him on those seven. I, I, I don't want him, <laughs> uh, you know, sub-tweeting me. 54 <laughs> pressures, so even better.
1: <laughs> All right. Our top three starts with our number three. Khalil Mack slides down a couple spots. I'm pretty sure he was our number one last year. If not, he was two or three, two. Um, but Khalil Mack slides down to three this year. After, in terms of productivity, not his best year. Only had eight and a half sacks, which tied him for twenty seventh. Uh, but other numbers, you know, you still definitely at a, at a top ten rate. Um, are, are either of you concerned that that uh, maybe not concerned is the right word because maybe maybe it's okay if if he's sliding. But do you believe we could be potentially seeing the the downslide of Khalil Mack's career at this point?
3: I hope so. I mean, I don't know <laughs> if, if it's actually going to happen or not, but, um, you know, he's been the premier pass rusher. Uh, he was someone that, you know, coming into the draft years back, it appeared as though he was going to live to the hype, but he played at a small school at Buffalo. So you just, you know, you didn't know if maybe that lack of competition, but that has not been the case. You know, uh, with him, he came right out the gate, and he's been amazing. Now, like you said, he did have a bit of a, a down year, but in a down year, you're still, you know, 15th overall in terms of PFF. You still have a pass rush rating of uh, 81 and a defensive run stop rating of 83. So, I mean, this is your down year. and You know, this would be a career year for most guys. So, uh, I still had him. I think I had him ranked third just because, you know, Five amazing years and then one off year and you're still only 28. Leaves me to believe, unfortunately, as a Lions fan, he probably will have a bounce back and be, you know, a top tier guy. He was still pretty good last year, too.
1: John, what's your fear level with Khalil Mack? Is it still pretty high? You had him fourth, so it must be still pretty uh, high.
2: Yeah, it's still pretty high. I think the reason why he's lower isn't necessarily that he's gotten worse. I think you just that a lot of other players on this list, have impressed us much more in the recent year and we're kind of riding their hot streak. Like the Bears as a whole took a big step backwards last season after honestly a historic 2018 season. And we all kind of knew or at least us non-Bears fans knew that that defense wasn't going to be repeated. But um even though Max still didn't have those kind of numbers, you know, he's still Easily a top three, top four, pass rusher in the entire league. It'd be very hard to find anyone who ranks lower than that.
1: Yeah, I mean, still 11 forced fumbles in the last two years, five of which came last year. So still a guy that's making a big impact, forcing those turnovers. And, and eight and a half sacks is, is still a, a good number. I mean, you'd take that from pretty much everyone, anyone on the Lions team this year, right? Um. All right, let, yeah. let's just jump right yeah. into yeah. our number two then. Number two on our list, drum roll, Miles Garrett comes in at number two. Last year, he had 10 sacks, tied for 15th. Um, his PFF pass rush grade, though, was second uh, with 91.6, just behind our number one guy. Um, our disruption rate, which is that NFL stat that they use, first in the NFL on his pass rush win rate, according to ESPN, fourth. So, in terms of pass rushing, I don't think there's any question that this guy's one of the best in the league. Am I right?
3: agree. He is, he's the best pass rusher in the league, Jeremy. And he's 24 years old. He is physically probably like the LeBron James of the NFL in terms of (laughs) the size and the weight, but the speed, the power, the explosion, um, you know, and the eyeball test sometimes goes a long way. Now, we don't get a chance to watch all of these guys. And uh, I think I mentioned this before. I had some fantasy football interest to watch some Cleveland Browns games this year. <laughs> and so I was watching him early on and I didn't know about that disruption rate. You just gave me Jeremy, mm-hmm. but just from the eye test of seeing him, I couldn't agree anymore. And that was why I put him at number one. The only person I've seen in the last few years that is as disruptive as him is Aaron Donald. I mean, this guy is a nightmare. If he's yeah. not getting the pressure, he's getting double team. If, if, if he's not getting double team, he's winning. Ten games, ten sacks. Uh, He was a number one pick for a reason a few years ago. Uh, He's led up to the bill, and uh, you know he's had you know he had the issue with the, the the helmet thing, and then some people even questioned how much he loved football because when he got drafted, he he was a guy that had very interests, which kind of is a pet peeve of mine. People question how much people love football because they're into other things that typical football players aren't, but that's a whole other story. He's had some character concerns, but. Put all that aside when it just comes to a pure pass rusher, this guy's one of the best, in my opinion, especially when you factor in how young he is. He's one of the best I've seen in in years, man. He's phenomenal.
1: Don, what do you think of him?
2: I basically agree with everything. I think some people are probably gonna, you know, it's easy to look at numbers and say, oh, he didn't have that good of a year, but he missed six games yeah. due to well the helmet incident. So things I don't think that's gonna be a recurring issue. I think that was basically two bitter rival teams and just things got heated. Um, I don't necessarily think he's a bad guy from it, but as as far as on the field stuff, pass rushing, as Jerry said, he's basically unparalleled with how good he is. Now his PFF grade is a little bit lower this year, and that's due to the fact that his run defense wasn't that good. But the year before he had a run defense grade of uh, about 80. So it's not too hard to see him rebounding. And I think, uh, you know, one very important thing that a uh, good old uh, Kent Lee uh, Platy always works with when it comes to his relative athletic scores. Miles Garrett is an elite athlete. I believe he's like number two on his list. And basically, he has incredible potential that I don't even think he's reached yet. I think in a few years, he could easily be the best player in the league if he isn't already.
1: Yeah. Miles Garrett was number one on my list as well. Um, I, I think a lot about conversations that I've had with Jeff Risden who, who covers the Browns in addition to the lions and he he goes to training camp. And I I just remember asking him like, you know, what's Browns training camp like compared to Lions training camp. And like, if you talk to Jeff Risden about Browns training camp, Miles Garrett is going to come up because he's just fascinated by the guy. and, And he just tells me like, listen, the stats might not be there now, but this is going to be one of the top guys in the league. I think. I think he just the stars need to align, and maybe they won't in Cleveland because that place is cursed almost as bad as Detroit is. But at some point, Miles Garrett is going to put up put up twenty sacks in the season. I'm I feel almost positive about it. That's how I'm highly I think of this guy. Um, it might not be this year. It might not be next year. But like you said, he's still young. He only got three three years under his belt. He's he's going to like i it's way too young to say early to say something like this but i feel like he has that hall of fame potential that's just waiting to break out and and we've already seen enough glimpses yep. of it to know that we're at least going to see more of it whether he actually ever reaches that that hall of fame potential we'll see you know it, it takes a little bit of luck injury luck it takes a little bit of you know team success to to reach that level i think but man I, I love watching that guy play, and, and the people around him can't say enough about him as, as a player. So, yeah, he deserves to be in the top two. I think he's the number one, but collectively, the POD staff gave the number one vote to TJ Watt. Let's go to John. You had him number one on your list. Talk to us about TJ Watt. What makes him so good?
2: TJ Watt. Now it's very easy to look at the sack numbers it's very easy to look at the PFF numbers but man Pittsburgh has a long history of a dominant defense and this guy is already up there he's he had an incredible 2019 season i believe he had the top PFF grade for uh, edge uh, defenders and you know he's kind of the jack hybrid uh, linebacker end but, man, he works so well in that defense. It's it's incredible. You watch that team and he stands out on almost every single snap. I, I don't want to go as far as saying, like, oh, he's better than JJ. But if he continues this streak over the course of his entire career, he might end up having a better career than JJ, which uh, we were talking about during the break. JJ is probably going to be a Hall of Famer. So I know that's a lot of praise. He's still pretty young, but... You know, going back to this entire list, we've been talking about the young guys and there's a lot of promise. And honestly, Watt's probably at the top of that list when it comes to promise.
3: Jerry, TJ Watt. Yeah, man, TJ Watt. Uh, It was a debate between him and Miles Garrett for me, who's the best edge. So Miles just narrowly won, but I had TJ Watt number two. What What I like about him is the trajectory is amazing. So that first year, he started 15 games and he had seven and a half sacks, which may seem good. Uh, but the, the raw numbers were okay. But people that actually watch the, the, the Steelers games, he had issues in run defense. He didn't create a lot of pressures. He didn't get a lot of hits. He just happened to kind of be fortunate enough to get sacks. So that second year, you started to see things come together where the stats, you know, the, the sacks and those those stats started to align because he had 38 pressures, uh, 23 QB hits. People started to see him be more effective in run defense. And so last year, Like it all came together. He had the the 14 and a half sacks, almost 60 pressures. Uh, And then the thing about him too, he's just good in all phases. He's also pretty good in pass defense. He has an 80 rating on PFF, uh, eight passes defended, you know, two interceptions, eight forced fumbles. And once again, these are all numbers and numbers do matter, but look at the impact as well. Uh, Him and uh, Minka Fitzpatrick, you know, they really carried that Pittsburgh team especially on the defensive side of the ball because they had, you know, Duck Hodges and all these other no-name guys uh, on offense. And so that defense really had to be special for them to compete like they did. You know, they, they did a lot better than people thought once Ben Roethlisberger went down, you know, almost getting them there to the playoffs. So uh, T.J. Watt's trajectory is amazing. And I like what Cordy Aaron uh, is saying because um, he just said, didn't the Lions take Jared Davis over T.J. Watt? I, I don't think that gets enough hype. You know, we we mentioned the Eric Ebron over uh, Aaron Donald a lot. But uh, at least in the Jerry Mallory household, almost as much mentioned is the Jared Davis over T.J. Watt. Just because I think there were rumblings that T.J. Watt was going to be the pick. I even feel like maybe, Jeremy, you did a mock draft at one point and you mentioned him. And I, I know some outlets mentioned T.J. Watt being linked to the Lions. And uh, man, just imagine if we had him. No disrespect to Jared Davis, but imagine having TJ Watt out there uh, as you know one of the best young edges in the league.
1: Yeah, I, I like TJ a lot. TJ Watt a lot. Um, I, I, there, there is some pushback in, in our chat, and I understand it because he doesn't really seem like that kind of flashy player. That you know, it's got like. Sp- a huge spin move or like has a ton of flashy stats or, or, or pass rush moves. But this dude is just solid everywhere. And like, like you said, solid in everything he does, whether it's coverage, whether it's run defense, he was 11th in PFFs run defense. And, and, and still like the pass rush. is certainly like his, his cream of the crop, his, his signature thing, because you know, first in pass rush, PFF second in pass rush win rate, uh, which is ESPN's metric first in overall PFF grade. Like, the guy is just so well rounded. You, you can't pick a hole in his game. That that's it. Like the guy is just—I I don't want to say perfect, but if if you if you notice anything wrong with his game, you're nitpicking. And so, definitely deserves to be a top three guy. I had him three, but um, I, I have no uh, real pushback for for him being number one because, as, as John was saying for this entire list, everything was just so close these guys are all extremely talented guys. And, and the fact that we left off guys like Shaquille Barrett last year's sack leader just goes to show you how many talented guys there are in this list. So I think probably the the
2: one thing working against TJ Watt is that he is kind of that hybrid defender. So mm-hmm. if he was in say a more traditional four, three uh, you know, he might not have the experience in coverage to be a full-time linebacker, but he might not necessarily have the size to be a defensive end. But right now he's in that very sweet spot in the Pittsburgh defense. And the sad thing is, uh, as Jerry mentioned, when the Lions took Jared Davis over uh, the likes of uh, TJ Watt. Mm-hmm. At the time, make it DJ makes man. sense because we we didn't have a defense that fit him. But imagine TJ Watt and Matt Patricia's defense. That's like a perfect fit right now. I'm sorry. Did I did I make you sad?
1: <sighs> yeah, yeah. But you know what's sad is just my normal, my my stasis at this point. Let me go through our top 10 before we head to our break in the mailbag. Uh, number 10 was Demarcus Lawrence, nine, Cameron Jordan, eight, Zedaria Smith, seven, Nick Bosa, six, Daniil Hunter, five, Chandler Jones, four, Joey Bosa, three, Khalil Mack, two, Miles Garrett, and our number one edge defender for 2020, TJ Watt. Thank you for all the pride guys who voted in this year's uh I don't know, survey, I guess. Anyways, that's our list. Next week, cornerbacks is gonna be our last list cast of the season. Uh, will Darius Slay make it? Maybe. Will Jeff Okuda make it? Maybe. Will Desmond Trufant make it? Uh, okay, and maybe um, probably not. But you're gonna have to stay tuned to find out. And you need to stay tuned now because coming up next, we're gonna talk a lot of ownership stuff with Mailbag. Next on the Podcast.
5: and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360 degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, hits the best price of the year at $29. Go to Sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S Y L V A N $29.com.
2: Melta.
1: Melta. Melta. The here. Here's the mail, it never fails. It makes me wanna wag my tail. When it comes, I wanna well Mail time. Hashtag ask POD If you guys have any questions for us throughout the week, if it just pops up in your head, hit us with that hashtag ask POD on Twitter and we will throw it in our mailbag, which we will answer at the end of every podcast cast that we can, including this one. So let's jump right into it. A lot of questions about ownership since that was the big news of the week. So we're going to hit three ownership questions right off the top of the bat. Our first one comes from Redux Zero on our Pride of Detroit page comment section. Yes. What do you guys think the impact of owners in the NFL really is? Is it overblown, understated? How big is the gap between someone like Jerry Jones and one of the lesser known, more hands off owners? Is there any correlation between owner visibility and team success? A lot of questions in there. Uh, feel free to answer as many as you want. Let's throw it to Jerry first. What are your thoughts on like the actual impact of, of an owner, owner is?
3: I think uh, the impact is pretty big, but it all depends on the role in which they choose to, you know, to take up. So you got a guy like Jerry Jones, who is, you know, very much involved with team building, roster building, player acquisition. Um, So, you know, his role is very important. You know, some might say even more because he's actually, you know, real big in, in, in scouting but you take someone like uh like Martha Ford for example you know she was she wasn't a part of that side of the game but it's very important that those ones entrust the right people so it kind of still comes back to the owner um, i do think Martha did a good job with using the outside consulting firm to you know get the gm and at least admitting acknowledging hey we don't know a ton about football from that standpoint so let's you know let's hire someone from the outside so yeah i I wouldn't say it's overstated. Um, it's very important because at the end of the day, either they're acquiring the players or they're putting the right people in the position to acquire players. So it it all comes down to their success of the team. Do you agree, John?
2: Uh, I especially agree with that final sentence you said, uh, where really if you're going to be hands off, you need to put the right people in charge. Um, and I think, you know, some of these owners like Jerry Jones, of course, it's funny when everyone thinks of an owner, he's the first guy that comes up. Um, you know, football is more of a business as well. You know, there's a lot of things that go on behind the scenes that we don't necessarily know about. And especially when, you know, looking at some lesser teams, for example, that might potentially struggle financially, the, those kind of owners probably do more on that side than someone who's only focused on football. So I'm personally going to say they're, not overblown or like underrated. I think it's you know, it really depends from owner to owner. It's it's a tough question to answer, not gonna lie there.
1: Yeah, it, it is tough because we don't see what they do, right? There's no tangible evidence we can see of what they do other than hiring people. And we really I mean in the line's case Hiring GM like that's the only thing they do, and 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 in the Lions' case, they they used a consulting firm too. So like the only tangible evidence of something that Martha Ford did for the Detroit Lions was hire and <laughs> Ernie Acorsi to hire Bob Quinn, and that's it. So, but but like you said, I do think I do think ownership is is tantamount to a team success. I, I really do, and and maybe that's evidence that that the Fords need to go or whatever. But like. Either way, whether they're, you know, the, the Jerry Jones hands on style, you know, part of every single football aspect of the team as well as the business side or whether they're Robert Kraft, where they're just like handing the, the keys off to, to Bill Belichick and say, make this team a winner. And, and, you know, you did like both those things are very important, <laughs> whether you're, you're hiring the important guys or, or taking the wheel yourself. You have to be good at one or the other and and that's that's the key and so to answer kind of like the the question of how big is the gap between jerry jones and some of the lesser known well it, it's hard to say but you know there there are certain there's a reason why they, certain franchises tend to stay really good franchises for a long time the steelers the packers the cowboys at least in contention the patriots like Yes, some of those are players, but a lot of those things transcend players, and a lot of those have to do with ownership. So um, I think owner, ownership is very important, and, and I wouldn't call it overblown. Uh, next question from, comes from Jay Jones, 1984. He asks, You're the new owner. What are three things you're changing with the organization? Um, we don't necessarily have to do three a piece. If we want, we can do one a piece, but if you have a couple, you can throw them in there. Uh, John, do you have one, one in the chamber Uh, at least? I've
2: I've got a few, at least two. So, uh, firstly, um, I would change the uniforms when you'd be allowed to, just cause I I wrote an article about them, about how you could change them up, kind of get a retro modernization to it. Cause right now I'm really not a fan of some of the colors. Like I feel like. They need to add some either like white. I know it's controversial, but some people like mm-hmm. the uh, the yeah. previous black on the jerseys. No. But no. I, my problem as a viewer is those numbers are impossible to read from TV. So many of them look so similar. I feel like adding a, another splash of color or white, I guess, mainly what I wrote up in my article. I think that would look pretty good. Um, my second one, uh, this is a bit more of a serious thing, is I would try to reconnect with Calvin Johnson. I feel like that is something that the bridge has almost been burned. And it's a shame because he is one of the franchise's best players of all time. I'd say Uh, up there with Barry Sanders, really. And you need to be in a good relationship with him because it's not like he spent half of his career with another team. He's only a Detroit lion and essentially distancing yourself from him, even over something like, I know for me, it'd be a lot of money, but for the lions, it's really not that much. It, It just seems like, I don't want to say a petty thing, but it feels like the Lions should do better.
3: Jerry,
1: what do you do as now
3: owner of the Lions? I like I like the ones that John had. Um, I, I like the jersey more than most, but so many people have an issue with the the numbers and colors. So I can I can feel that being a change, especially the Calvin one. Uh, I had one in mind um, and I'm thinking about the ownership and, you know, obviously the football things, the business things, the more serious things are important. but there's an element that's important too. You know, you got your stake team building, hiring the right people, but you got your sizzle too. Some of those uh, superficial things. And I've always had this idea that um, I don't think it would take a ton of money. It would probably get good publicity. You probably could even get a sponsor, um, and I think it, it would kind of create a, a a good link between the Lions and season ticket holders. I had season tickets uh, in 2015, I believe, and. Uh, I probably would never do it again just because I didn't particularly enjoy the experience. Now, it may have changed since Rod Wood has, uh, you know, come aboard. I know he's done some things. But um, I wasn't too enamored with the way in which they, you know, treated the season ticket holders. Not that they have to be in an elevated position, but just a little bit more of a, a reach out to them. So uh, this idea would be, you know, I'm the owner. And what I would do with the season ticket holders is this, everyone that's a season ticket holder, you know, you got your seats and everything like that. I would reserve one seat in a really nice spot, maybe front row, maybe second row. And every year of that pool of season ticket holders, I would randomly draw it or, you know, whatever. And they would get those upgrades. They could either upgrade to these, you know, premium seats, uh, or they can, you know, give those tickets to someone else, but they would be considered like the fan of the year, just something to kind of, uh, gain that relationship with the season ticket holders to kind of show them you appreciate them. Um, So, you know, a premium seat, what you may be looking at $10,000. You can get a sponsor to do it. And I think that would just be a good sign to, to show some respect to season ticket holders.
1: I like that. I like that answer. I I know they've, they've been trying to do more in recent years, but um, I do feel like there is at least somewhat of a disconnect still between season ticket holders and, and, and their desires for the team. My my answer is a little more vague. I want this team to really make a pivot towards their players and treating their players better. And that that means a lot of things, you know. It means being more friendly to them in the locker room, giving them more freedom to be the face of the franchise. It's the one thing that I think the NBA does an amazing job of. And granted, there's only five players on the court of the time per team. And so it's easier. You, you can see them. They're, they're not wearing a, a helmet or a mask or anything like that. So they have an easier job, but they, I really think the lines need to refocus both their efforts in terms of advertising for the team um, to make it more player centric and make the experience for players while they're here more positive. So like, and and a lot of this might sound like I'm hating the current regime and maybe that's what it is, but like taking the ping pong table out of the, the locker room, making it so they can't use their phones and can't post on social media. It's like, These guys are the face of the team when this team has been so bad. The one thing in the past that's been good about it is that we've been able to have access to the players. And we've had some interesting people here. We've had Calvin Johnson. We've had in and Sue, maybe, maybe, you know, they're not the most righteous of people, but it's kind of fun to have a villain too. Um, but now, you know, the players aren't having fun with her here. Let's be honest. Detroit isn't a, a destination city for a lot of people. Fair or not. Um, it's tough to to bring players in here. So I feel it, like if you're one of these places like Seattle, that's like super fun. Like they're, they're shooting hoops in team meetings. They're, they're having a lot of fun. People always talk very kindly about um, a lot of the people there. There are some people that don't like Pete Carroll, but I'm just saying like a more team, a, a more fun Player friendly approach, I think, would help this team financially. I think it would help them, you know, in terms of their football thing, and and would certainly help the image of this team that so desperately has failed in that aspect. You know, it seems like so many alumni of this team just hate them. <laughs> there, there, there's a couple people who hang around, and and you know will be the face of the franchise for a while. You have your Herman Moors. You have well, now you have your Barry Sanders. But like, I don't know. I I just I hate that this is is turning into a franchise that appears to hate their players. And so I would make a full front effort to, to make it a better experience while they're there, upgrade the locker rooms, you know, give them gifts, give them a bunch of lion swag, put them on social media all the time, make it so that they're at least having fun here and might want to come back. Even when the losing comes, that's it. Simple.
3: I like it. All right. I like it. They can start off with the Calvin thing and then move right to that. Exactly, exactly. Um, take it off last, with Calvin and then just take it off from there.
1: Last thing on ownership comes from Levy's beard. He asked, should it even be considered an ownership change if it never left the family?
2: I think so. I mean, they're two different people. Uh, we'll see how hands-on she's going to be with the team. Um, by all accounts, Martha wasn't really that person. I mean, Obviously, she was up there in age. Uh, At this point, I'm going to say, yes, you consider it a change of ownership, even if it is just passing down to a family member.
3: I agree. Um, Yeah, we we saw we saw some changes from William Clayford to Martha uh, and, you know, their husband and wife. So I think going from Martha to Sheila, we will see some changes. And even in the press conference, you know, she kind of made that a point to say, hey, I kind of want to set my own uh, trail here. So, yeah, I think we'll see some changes
1: let me ask a question to both of you are are you the same person as your dad yeah exactly <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> no of course not like listen i know she grew up behind these people i know she learned a lot on the job from martha ford but this is a generational change that that's big change like do, do i think i'm anything like my mother my father's generation absolutely not i mean that that's a big change. Like again, nothing's going to be hugely changed in, in the immediate. Obviously things are going to have to stay the same because Sheila's going to need time to, to learn the team and learn what her job entails and, and, and learn all of her employees a little bit more. But yeah, like this is a change in ownership. And I do think it could result in drastic changes eventually, just not right away. So yeah, it's, it's a change in ownership. I think anyone who, who says otherwise is being overly cynical. Next question comes from Panzer 1943. We're going to tr- uh, transition a little bit away from ownership. He, he says, "If we actually have football this year, do you guys think this defense can work its way up towards quote semi-respectable with a change in coordinator and some of our additions?" Semi-respectable is the bar. That, do we do it, we clear it? That's a low bar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
3: Yeah, yeah. It's respectable. kind of a low bar. You're semi-respectable. <laughs> Yeah, it's just not even all the way. A little respectable some weeks, some weeks not so much. I think we do. I think we can clear the bar to semi-respectable and even just respectable. Um, I've seen growth with Matt Patricia. It hasn't played out on the field. Um, but I feel like, you know, from year one to year two, he made some changes in the way he dealt with players um, uh, and, and even with the way he dealt with media. And so I think if anything, he has shown the propensity to, if there's an area to adjust, that he'll do so. And I think bringing in, uh, you know, a new defensive coordinator that you know coming from Philly does kind of have some difference in philosophy. Signifies that he's willing to expand upon what he's trying to build. So, from a philosophy standpoint, I think we will be better. And even from a personnel standpoint, uh, I I feel as though our defense is better. With the linebacking core being as horrible as it was, you plug in Jamie Collins, and of course, with free agents, you have to hope that they pan out. It's never a guarantee. And he went to Cleveland, didn't pan out, but you know. It seems to be an upgrade there with Jamie Collins and then the second year of Tavai. Uh The defensive line is kind of similar. Um, you know, in the middle, it wasn't that impressive last year. Danny Shelton, you know, is he an upgrade over what Damon Harrison and, and Mike Daniels was last year? Maybe. I think a lot depends on what happens with Deshaun Ham, but if he's healthy, that could be considered an upgrade. And I think our secondary, and I'll keep saying it, even though we lost Darius Slay, I think Darius Slay out, but. Um, Gaining Okuda, I can't, uh, the land, uh, true font, gaining true font, gaining Okuda, uh, is, is a plus from the cornerback position. I think we're deeper at safety with Harmon. So, you know, I look at the roster and see improvements. And I think with this new coordinator, we'll see some changes even schematically. So, you know, I can see us being respectable to, you know, from semi respectable to just actually respectable middle of the pack.
2: <laughs> you feel that way, John? Um, I'm honestly kind of the opposite, where I think our defense is better on paper uh, this upcoming season. Um, I like the changes they made to the secondary. It's kind of weird saying that after getting rid of Darius Slay, but I think the secondary has gotten better. Um, my problem is I just I don't think the philosophy is the right the right thing for this team. They took an emphasis on contain and run defense, and going back to our past rusher list. Those are guys that the Lions don't really have. The guy that I did mention that, that they have, Trey Flowers, is more run oriented. And he had a great year. I'm not going to deny that. But I think in a passing league like we have nowadays, you can't leave cornerbacks to defend for like five, six seconds. Uh, there was a really good graph of like basically time to pass or something. And like the Lions were like off on an island all by themselves. And I feel like unless you the personnel really steps up, that's not a recipe for success.
1: Yeah, I, I definitely have the same concerns as you. And I, I don't think I'm I'm buying yet that Corey Umland is, is suddenly going to give us a, a drastic schematic change or f- philosophical change. I mean, the, those two are still related. You know, they still did grow up in the Patriot system together. So there, there's a reason Matt Patricia picked him. And I'm not so certain it's because he, he'll open his mind a little more. I, I hope that might be true. Um, but that being said, I do think health is a big issue here. Like if I I think health was a big issue last year, I think the team would have been a lot better defensively had it not been for a lot of early injuries and late injuries. So I do think the bar of semi respectable is certainly passable. Um, I'm not going to go out here and say they're, they're going to be an average defense or better, but they should, they should be better than they were last year. And whether that means semi respectable, we're just going to have to wait and see if they can if they can finally hold it together health wise. Next question comes from Just Plainville at Vince W Law on Twitter. Let's stick with the defense. What's the over under on Trey Flowers sacks in twenty twenty? Jerry, what do you got? Throw out a number for me.
3: I'm going to go eight and a half. Um, you know, he's, I don't think he ever will be a guy that's going to just get double digit sacks, 12, 13, 14, 15, but that still could be a good year for him. Um, so he had seven last year and kind of admittedly, even to himself, a slower start, probably just recovering from that shoulder injury. So, um, you know, a slight uptick in production. He had a, a good year, probably more than people realized last year, but I could see him being a little bit better. I'll go with eight and a half. That's where I'll set the line.
1: That would be a career year for him. The most he's had is seven and a half in 2018. John, what do you, what do you got as a number out there?
3: I'm, I'm
2: probably looking at that. If anything, he's been pretty consistent. Um, looking at yeah. pro football reference, he's had seven, six and a half, seven and a half, and seven. So that's looking like seven's going to be my my best bet. <laughs> um, and going back to what I mentioned about the Lions is that they're not a team that prioritizes the pass rush. They prefer having contain. So I think realistically, he's not going to be in that many situations when, uh, you know, he's going to be getting a lot of sacks. If anything, I think someone like Julian Aquara might challenge him for the team lead.
1: Maybe I the, the one thing that that leaves me a little more optimistic than than I think both of you guys is that there are more pass rush options on this roster now that might free up some time for him. Like Devon Kennard wasn't ever drawing double teams and wasn't ever getting pressure. With, with a guy like either Austin Bryant or Julian O'Quara, there's going to be other guys that draw attention on the edges. And with Deshaun Hand, you know, cross your fingers healthy this year, there's going to be an interior threat too. And so I think, I think nine is my number and, and I would maybe even take the over. I think, I think he might cross into double digits this year because I do feel the lineup is better um, to, to, to at least release some tension from him this year. All right. Next question. Let's, let's take it away from football for a second. Albino coconut 71 in our comment section asks, do you have an all time favorite line from a movie? It can be serious, humorous, or just downright stupid. Do you have one that you guys quote a lot or one that you just think is, I don't know, inspirational, funny, whatever. Anyone jump out to you?
3: Yeah. Or, I, I got, I got, a, I got a few. Um... Go ahead. Go ahead. Jerry. Oh, Jerry, go ahead, Jerry. Yeah, it, I I got a few. It's usually like situationally. I don't have any like movie instances. That's like a a, a personal philosophy of mine or I use for encouragement. But uh, there's just a few that comes to mind the situation calls for it. Um, sometimes if I'm getting packages and I don't know what it is, I'll go with the old classic. What's in the box from seven? Mm-hmm. Kind of like mm-hmm. one of those, you know, little cheesy things. Uh, yeah. uh, the Dark Knight. Uh, when when 2 faces is screaming at the end Rachel's name. So a lot of times if I'm talking to someone that is, you know, a fan of Batman and if a name Rachel comes up, I have to scream it. know yeah, Rachel! Kind of like he did. Uh, <laughs> and then after that, anything from the movies Clueless or Remember the Titans. I could probably quote both of those movies <laughs> almost, you know, freakishly to a T. Um, so yeah, anything from one of those two movies, uh, Denzel's water break speech is pretty good. Someone's thirsty. I can kind of just bust that out. You need a water break. Or when Julius is talking about attitude reflects leadership captain. So, uh, and then clueless is a ton too. So, you know, I just do it for fun. Nothing inspirational, but some of those just hit me because some of my favorite movies, I just did the little rolling with the homies thing. Rolling
1: with the homies. (laughs) (laughs) Love it. John, what about you, bud?
2: um honestly i've been thinking about this for a bit even before the podcast and i don't have a good answer for that there's a few um i guess uh we used by felicia for a little bit uh <laughs> i think it's kind of died down a bit um oh, geez happy. i don't know something like aim for the bushes or something from uh the other the other guys wasn't um i
1: haven't I seen know. that movie
2: is it good, <laughs> uh, That's well, a good one. <laughs> you'll love it um, um. I don't know, I'm not really a, a kind of person that uses quotes like that. I mean, or if I do, I am subconsciously doing it. So none come to mind right off the bat.
1: Yeah.
3: I, what you got, Jeremy?
1: I, I don't like the two movies that come to mind that that I feel like I quote a lot are Walk Hard and Pee Wee's Big Adventure, which I I've been on a recent kick on Twitter, of just like completely promoting that movie because I think it's it's absurd it's imaginative and it's hilarious uh even though it's considered a kids movie directed by tim burton if that helps change anyone's mind you should go back and and, then watch it but like there you go uh (laughs) one of my favorite walk hard lines comes at the very beginning of the movie when um you know it's john c Riley. he's playing a high school kid which is absurd because he's acting with people (laughs) 30 people 30 years younger than him and like I can't even remember what it's a talent show. Some like really basic shitty act goes before him. And then he just turns to his buddies and he goes, how are we supposed to follow that? And it was just, it's just like, I don't know. I'm doing a bad job kind of setting up, but it's just absurd. Like that entire movie is also really underrated movie. In my opinion, one of my favorite comedies from the past 10 years, go watch walk hard, the Dewey Cox story. All right. Uh, I think we only have time for one more and I got two lined up. Um, let's go with Lionbeard's question. Linebeard 40 on Twitter asks, what are your thoughts about the Lions now being the trendy dark horse pick to bounce back and be good this season? Now, I think this is in reference to PFF, who's kind of been pushing the Lions a little bit lately. I think they said... Um, You know, they put their money on the line. So in the NFC North, I think they they said that they're being way overlooked in the NFC North. They they could certainly be contenders in the NFC North. Uh, Are you guys cool with that? Does that make you more nervous? Does it mean anything to you? Does that mean maybe there actually is a chance that they're good this year? Or or do you do not like that added pressure?
3: I'm fine with it. Um, it's, It's not added pressure. I don't know how much I believe it things that do Mm -hmm. give me confidence is I do think the Packers will regress a little bit this year They had an insane amount of turnovers. And uh, there's some flukiness involved with turnovers. If you see a team that gets a lot of turnovers and their record is good, a lot of times that next year, they kind of, you know, kind of come back down to earth. So that gives me some hope, you know, the fact that maybe the Packers won't be as dominant. So the winner of this division, you know, you might be looking at 10, 11 wins. I don't think the lions can get to that point, but, uh, you know, the randomness and parody of the NFL seems to hit every single team except for us. It You know, the loser mentality and me says it's bound to happen to us one year, right? Fair enough.
2: Yeah, it's bound to. Uh, a few weeks ago, I had a uh, question of the day, which was which teams could go worst to first. And I kind of had a look at most of them. Some of them. You know, they're probably not going to turn out. You know, we got the Bengals, uh, Chargers, whatnot. Um, The Lions were one of the three teams that, in my view, have the best chance of going worst to first. And I think what Jerry touched upon is that the NFC North is pretty wide open. It feels like and it's very easy to say that your team gets better in the offseason because most teams do. But it feels like the rest of the NFC North really hasn't. The Vikings lost a lot of people in the offseason, The Packers made some interesting choices and basically looks like they're going for a youth movement, which is kind of weird, given that they were a playoff team last year. Um, The Bears are the Bears, so they will have fun with that. So, like, where does that leave the Lions? I don't know. It's possible, but also I've been disappointed before, so I'm not getting my hopes too high up.
1: Yeah, I don't know. Like. I don't even know if the Lions are truly the trendy pick right now. I feel like in Detroit, we hyper focus on anyone who says anything positive about the Lions. And I feel like that happens every year. There's always one person like they're my dark horse Super Bowl pick. And everyone's like, whoa, someone thinks the Lions are going to win the Super Bowl. We're going to actually win it this year. And so like, I just feel like we go through something similar like this every year. And so I don't view it as any sort of tangible actual sign of progress, I do think all the points that you guys are bringing up are right, like yeah, the nFC North is a little more wide open this year and and the lines were certainly better than the record last year and i i think I think they can contend for the nFC north, but I'm not gonna sit here and, and say you should put money on them. I'm not going to say that they're the 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 you know the favorites in in for any sort of reason i mean, this team has a lot of demons they need to face and a lot of you know you know, if the lines are going to succeed, there has to be a lot of ifs that happen, you know, if they stay healthy, if Matthew Stafford continues to play well and doesn't get injured, if the defense takes a step up, if Jeff Okuda is good right off the bat, like all those ifs have to happen. And for truly good teams, they don't have that many ifs. So I'm, I'm not, I'm not taking any of these, you know, select analysts that think the lines are, are suddenly in a position to win. Um, to heart necessarily that said, like, like I said, yeah, they could contend, they could win it. It wouldn't completely surprise me, but um, I don't think they're necessarily the trendy pick at this point. And I I think that's going to come much clearer into focus. Once we get towards the beginning of the season and we start seeing like full season predictions, be prepared to see a lot of fourth places. That's all I'm saying.
3: Yeah. I've seen plenty of hate too. I've seen plenty of places say three wins, four wins, you know, again, so I agree with you. It's just, you know, we're going to key in on on things talking about Detroit, especially when they're positive. So, yeah.
1: All right, that's going to do it for this week's episode. I want to give a shout out and a thanks to our two guests. That's John Whitaker at Whitaker on Twitter. He's our social media guy. You also see him throughout Question of the Day and some re- some other articles sprinkled out throughout the year. Uh, and of course, Jerry Mallory at Jerry Mallory NFL, our video guy who. Keeps saying he's going to throw some more videos out there, but we can't even see him out there. How do we even know he still exists? I don't
3: know. <laughs> I'm a robot. I'm Jerry Maverick but... moved to, uh, he moved to Nor- Norway six years ago. This is all a, a simulation.
1: This <laughs> is just a soundboard. Yep. <laughs> <laughs>
3: all right. I'm Chris with a voice changer. <laughs>
1: I knew it. All right. Thanks for joining us, everybody. We'll probably have a couple other streams throughout the week, maybe some more video game streams, um, but we'll probably won't have a midweek podcast. So you'll have to tune in next week. Like, uh, like I said, for top 10 cornerbacks of the season, but until then it's chaos. Be kind.
5: you can add the fundrise flagship fund to your portfolio in just minutes and with as little as ten dollars by visiting fundrise.com fox carefully consider the investment objectives risks charges and expenses of the fundrise flagship fund before investing this and other information can be found in the fund's prospectus at fundrise.com flagship this is a paid advertisement more to do's less time and an infinite number of tools to keep track of